0: Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Krupp, and you are not. And today is, I think I know this one, don't tell me, Wednesday, June 7th. Sixth. Sixth. July. July. I know it's 2022. Yeah. So, if you wish to fall down and worship. And on this date in history, I was going to say something cool, but nothing's, because yes, tomorrow... Is the anniversary of the construction of the Hoover Dam, yeah. beginning of it. Really? Yesterday was the anniversary of Larry Doby, the first black player in the American League. Started his first game yesterday in baseball. Did I say that right? In what year? Nineteen. <laughs> okay. Nineteen. <I> was wrong. <laughs> what year did Larry Doby? I want to say fifty-six. Let's see. So we're not sure. But in my dad's lifetime, black men could not play basketball in ma- or baseball in Major League, which is, I just can't get over that every time. I anyway, so uh, today we're going to talk about the Gnostic Gospels. And I can't believe we're trying. like the Gnostic Gospels are kind of like that drunk uncle. You, you think you got him out of the house at the end of the party and then he staggers back in. Like, hey, you knew that. But so gonna, not that I have some experience with this. But all kidding aside, we're going to talk about it because it's so funny. It started popping up again. And this is so weird. But hey, why not? Let's have some fun with that. So, we're going to take a look at what is Gnosticism? What are the Gnostic Gospels? Why did the church hide them and send albino monk assassins out to kill people who knew of them? that's a fact Dan Brown wrote it it has to be true so we're going to talk about that now tomorrow just to irritate as many people as possible we're going to talk about the death penalty and why everyone who thinks differently than me should experience it (laughs) Uh, So we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk a bit about the church's teaching on immigration. We're going to try to hit some of these issues and uh, walk through them together. Why? Because our guest is not coming tomorrow. So it's got to be something I know a bit about without prepping much. And I know a lot about death. Death. I've what? killed a lot of people, you huh? I actually do know. I do. I actually do know a lot about death. It was fun. Well, no, I better not get into that. So uh, and <laughs> I was at someone's house. This was recent. And they were like, well, um, you know, I was giving mom last, their mom last rites. And they were like, well, the hospice says she, she'll probably be two more weeks. And I, I said, no, she's not going to last two more days. <laughs> and she was dead 40 hours later. And they called, they were like, how do you know? I said, I read Facebook. (laughs) It's basically a medical degree. So anyway, (laughs) and I have to tell you, I got no sleep last night, but I did tend to the bushes in front of the parish with Carrie. Should I not talk about this? I was out in front of our parish with a spray, I'm going to speak English now. I was out in front of the parish with an unwitting accomplice named Carrie... Spray-painting bushes in defiance of tyranny. <laughs> That's what we were doing. Did you see our bushes this They're morning? Much <laughs> Amazing how they were revitalized. I like that. See, now that the bushes are revived, we have permission from the city council to take care of the poor. Thank God we're spending our money on really important stuff. Like Bushes. Anyway, so today we'll take a look at the Gnostic Gospels and what got me going on this was every once in a while, and this is true, as a priest, I can tell you, I got ordained in 1998 and sometime around then, Dan Brown wrote a fiction book called The Da Vinci Code and there were people who believed it was real or that some parts of it were real and the premise of it was that there's these secret Gospels and that the church was killing people to cover up these secrets. Right. Um, and usually, just to be clear, the church doesn't send out assassins to kill people. We usually kill people by sheer neglect. That tends to be our... Sh- <laughs> was that out loud? I'm so proud. Thank you, Dad. But anyway, uh, and then all of a sudden, was it 03? Okay, all of a sudden, all these documentaries come out, especially the History Channel is the worst at this. Right. The true story of Jesus. Right. And this from the channel that does like aliens building space pyramids you know Uh, so anyway what ends up happening is everybody gets excited and a bunch of people make money and then i get a ton of questions so uh and then you think okay it's done everyone figured out how stupid this is and (laughs) then somebody does something and it happens again so one of the interesting thing is, the other day, and I I truly thought this was a comedy thing. I swear. Uh, what do you call the thing you got me doing now? TikTok. TikTok. A guy like is like, did you know the secret gospels that the church has covered up for centuries? And I'm like, Yeah, this'll be fun. Oh no, he was selling them. Uh, so and then sure enough, the last couple days, I've gotten a couple questions about Gnostic Gospels. So we're going to cover it. And uh, if it sounds like I'm making fun of you that you have questions, oh my gosh, I'm not. It just kind of cracks me up because I think what this hits is what we hope is true. What we wish is true. That, uh, But I think a look into Gnosticism will help us see why it's kind of crazy. But the first thing I got to tell you is the idea that the church covered up or hid these Gospels is it's one of those lies that... It's like, remember last week when I told you the biggest lie right now in the anti-church, pro-choice movement, and they're not always the same. I'm saying the where, where there's crossover is, well, the church doesn't do anything to help the poor. It's so wrong and it's so evil in its lie that it's kind of hard to argue against because you're... It, I don't know. People who believe it just believe it, and no amount of reality can help them. But uh, with the Gnostic Gospels, when you hear of these findings, like there was a big finding in the 1970s, and who found it? It was church-sponsored archaeology. Right. Uh, who published? Uh, I was just, I think I told you this this morning, Carrie. Yeah. Was it you? I was, that I remember in seminary, we all, we read all the Gnostic Gospels as part of our studies. And again, you probably don't want your priest write, hi, reading books that you're trying to subvert or hide. And I remember the copyright for my, copy, all of us had the same copies of the Gospels, was from 1901, the Vatican Press. And I remember asking our scripture prof, isn't there a newer, you know, edition than 1901? And he said, Joe, no one gives a crap. These things are kind of useless. I mean, they're neat for a a glimpse inside the mindset of Gnostic writers, but they don't have any historical value uh, beyond that. No one's interested in them. But then again, Da Vinci Code came out. And it was a great chance to crap on Catholics for cash. <laughs> so, uh, so where did this come from that the church hid the Gospels? I really have no idea. The church was the only one publishing them, these Gnostic Gospels, for hundreds of years. Uh, people just weren't interested because, as you'll hear, some of them are crazy. Uh, and most of them are so much older than the Gospels we read, they're not considered really valuable. It would be like this. Think of this. If you wanted to find out what the mindset of our founding fathers was, what, 1776, okay? And you had two choices. Something written by Thomas Jefferson's aide five years after 1776. That's choice A. And the other one is a British historian who hates Americans and wrote it about 50 years ago. Which one are you gonna put more value on? You're gonna put it on the dude who knew Thomas Jefferson and wrote it right after he died, not on the guy who wrote it hundreds of years later didn't know Jefferson and didn't appreciate the cause he es- that Jefferson espoused. Does this is this work? Yes. it's literally that, including the depth of time between the readings of what we call the canonical gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Susie. I'm just kidding. Wouldn't it be cool if we had a gospel yeah, of Susie? Too. Huh? Yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? Though no, seriously, you get to heaven and you find out there was a gospel of Susie. But the, Okay, anyway. Um, what were we talking about? Shoot, I just started thinking of the gospel of Susie and I keep seeing Sue from the Peanuts in my head. <laughs> right? Wasn't she the one with, like, the advice booth who kept pulling the football no, away who from... Was who was, was Susie? Was there a Susie in the Peanuts? Susie. I don't know. Well, I don't have to think about that. Yeah. All right. So uh, with that, why does this rumor persist? Because people are gullible and there are people who hate Catholics and people who don't hate Catholics, but find us suspicious. Right. Yesterday, I picked up that dude who needed there was a dude walking by our house who needed, you know, and he waved us out. Can you give me a ride? Sure. So dad and I gave him a ride to Walmart and he regaled us with stories about how he used to be Catholic. But he's not anymore, because the Pope made up the Bible or something. I can't remember. <laughs> like, you know we're Catholic and helping you. Uh, so <laughs> the church did not hide the Gnostic Gospels. No one gave a crap about them. Uh, and uh, so with that, then let's start with, what is Gnosticism? Gnosticism was a religious, philosophical movement, and its roots are really amorphous. We're not sure. I tend to buy the theory that they came from the mystery cults in the Babylonian Empire, that they were outgrowth of it. Uh, But its first real hardcore appearance that's been saved is from its contact with Christianity. It's a movement based on the idea of knowledge. Okay, so Gnosticism, it's where we get the word knowledge. Okay, Uh, but Gnosticism is spelled G-N-O-S-T-I-C. Uh, Whereas we spell it K-N-O-Y. And it's funny because in both words, the first letter is silent. Isn't that weird? I don't know why. Gnosticism, knowledge. Um, I have no idea why. (laughs) I have no idea why. Do you know anyone who does that? Why were you there? What was he saying? I know someone who talks like that. Yeah. That's how you're supposed to say it, I guess. So what are some key traits of Gnosticism? First, uh, where did my screen go? There we are. First, it emphasizes personal spiritual knowledge above any kind of orthodox teaching, tradition, or religious authority. What does that mean? That's a little hard to pin down. It's like sometimes we Catholics will say, well, Protestants believe, blah, 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 forgetting that there's tens of thousands of Protestant sects, and not all of them agree. Uh, and they don't all agree on much. Monasticism um, is uh, nailing down any kind of orthodox list of beliefs. It's a bit like nailing jello to the wall because there really isn't. That, that's antithetical to the movement. There are some key traits that they all held, and that's what we're going to hit. Because on the rest of it, they disagreed. But one thing they agreed is that there is secret knowledge that can be attained about God. okay? Uh, and what about God? Well, here's one key element. There is a supreme God that is hidden. And there is a lesser God that is evil or malignant that created the universe. Now, this is hard to say, but they believe the God we worship is the lesser evil God. He created matter, the one we call the Lord. They would say, well, yeah, he's a God, but there is a secret hidden God who is above him. And what makes the God we worship evil? Well, he made matter, right? And that's a key tenant to matter is evil or flawed. So our bodies are evil. Screaming goats are evil. Any kind of physical reality is at best flawed and more likely evil. You might even hear the physical world is an illusion. Now, you're going to laugh at this, but if you want to get a sense of what Gnosticism kind of believes, watch The Matrix. Okay, the Matrix is all the the plot and the theology and the thinking behind it. Um, And I can never pronounce their last names, but the brothers who wrote the movie were like, oh, yeah, we based it all off Gnosticism. Um, The idea that there's this great secret and very few people know it. And the people who know it are considered dangerous by the gods that don't want that known. Um, and what is the great secret in the, in, in court? It's all illusion. None of this is real. Okay. How are we doing so far? Okay. Are people rolling with this? Um, so They believe that personal spiritual knowledge is the key and that it takes precedence over any kind of organized orthodox teaching. So because of that, like I said, a little tough to nail down. Well, what do Gnostics believe? Well, they believe a lot of things and not all of them agree on what they believe. But one thing they all buy is that there is a supreme hidden God that no one knows and that there is a lesser God who is evil that created the universe that we live in. And that matter itself is at best flawed, but more than likely evil. Um, Direct knowledge of this secret God is the only way to salvation. And how do you get that knowledge? Well, through mystical insights, and frankly, paying people who've had mystical insights. Okay, I know the secret. And I can tell you for nine, for four easy installments of $69.95, <laughs> um, which is one of the reasons you're going to see Gnostics didn't have a lot of respect at this point, although a lot of the lower classes really dug Gnosticism and a lot of the lower classes dug Christianity. Do you see where this is going? Yeah. Uh, most people looked at it as like we would look at televangelists. Okay. Um, Another key thing they believe is something called dualism. What is dualism? The idea that good and evil are co-equal forces. Namely, good is not more powerful than evil. Evil is not more powerful than good. There is no assurance of victory at the end. Who will win? Well, we don't know. Good versus evil. We have no idea who will win. And then finally, a characteristic of most of these uh, Gnostic groups is what we call radical asceticism. What is that? It's uh, depriving or abusing your body, um, trying to eat as little as possible. Sleep is why? Because this is evil, right? I know you might look at my body and think, how could something so beautiful be evil? But I didn't exist then. So this is the key thing about Gnostics Is they thought anything physical is probably evil Certainly an illusion And so you abuse your body You uh, hurt it physically You deprive it as much as possible All of it so that the body doesn't have mastery And you might be thinking Wow, it's sort of like some Christian views on steroids Isn't it? Right. <laughs> like you and I believe we should discipline our body, but not by beating on ourselves, not by starving ourselves. Do we fast? Yes. To show our body it's not master, but not to disrespect it. They did it to disrespect it because it's evil. It's just matter. Um, do, how are we doing on Gnosticism? Is everybody good? So I wanted to give you a snapshot of Gnosticism. And just keep in mind that when we say, you know, Gnosticism, we're talking about a massive school of thought that had a billion different, you know, ideas flowing within it. But what I shared with you are the core tenets that almost any Gnostic would embrace. Uh, Now, how did Gnostics view Jesus? Okay. Well, first of all, Jesus is identified, again, by different Gnostics in different ways. Remember, there's no central thing. What do Catholics believe? Well, you can look. We have a book called The Catechism. Now you say, well, what do Protestants believe? Well, which Protestant? There's a lot of them. Remember, Gnosticism is a category like that. And I hope it's clear. I'm not comparing Gnostics to Protestants, right? I'm just saying Protestants, a general category. Gnostics, a general category. Okay. So some Gnostics viewed Jesus as the embodiment of the supreme being. Okay. Remember the supreme hidden being? Uh, And that he became incarnate to bring knowledge to earth. What did others believe? That not only that, not only is that wrong, but that Jesus was, in fact, some of them believed, a part of the evil lesser God who came here to trick us, to deceive us. Some believed that he was just, quote, just a human who attained enlightenment through his secret knowledge and shared it with his disciples how to get secret knowledge. Um, There was a group called the Mandeans who said Jesus was a false messiah. That John the Baptist was the actual messiah, right? So there's tons of different things. Um, The key is this. uh, Weekly catch-up with Father Joe is a movement of the Gnostics. Please don't tell anyone. I'm trying to keep it secret. And speaking of which, today's episode is brought to you by Heinz Ketchup. Uh, you know, and I can't wait. I got to show you guys. I got a t-shirt the other day. It's a little small for me. I'm a big man. Not muscular, just fat. Joe. Yeah. Huh? Thanks. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I got one. Oh, yeah. And my dad's like, great. Every time I get a shirt that's too small, dad's like, sweet. And he takes that. That huge chipmunk is back. Nice. Do you know that? He's right, right there. there. Fat
1: Gus. Look at him. Have
0: you seen a chipmunk that big, Chuck? Fat Gus. <laughs> huh? Fat Gus. Oh, Fat Gus, yeah. Who actually didn't he turn out to be a girl? Yes. The pregnant girl? Yes. Yeah. Or female. Pregnant. Yes. Okay. So. As you can see, when I start talking about Gnosticism infiltrating Christianity, it's not all Gnosticism. Some Gnostics wouldn't go near Christianity because they felt Jesus was a false messiah or they felt like he was a representation of the lesser evil God who tries to draw us into matter. So with that, Gnostics did infiltrate Christianity. Well, how? Simple. Christianity was illegal. Christianity was underground. So if you look from about 33, well, really, if you want to go from the Roman perspective, from about 60 AD until about 314 AD, Christianity was illegal. And during that time frame, Christians suffered a lot. Now, sometimes they didn't. Right. There was one Roman emperor during this time named Philip the Arab who was very open to Christians. Uh, such that even people started to say Philip the Arab was Christian. Uh, he wasn't. It doesn't appear he was. But he didn't hate Christians. He didn't care um, about that. There were some emperors that ignored Christians, some that kind of liked them, and some that flat out killed them. But through it all, Christianity was illegal and Christians tended to hide So when you walk in now, this is a little crude and forgive me, but I I, want to give you a sense of things. Remember, there's no billboards, right? Remember that back then there's no billboards. There's no real posters. The way Romans communicated things in the city to each other was by graffiti. It was not considered a bad thing at all to put graffiti on the wall. And the other way Uh, Well, so when you walk into the ruins of Pompeii, right, for those of you who know, Pompeii is a city that was perfectly preserved when uh, Vesuvius blew, the volcano Vesuvius blew, and it covered and buried the city in ash and preserved it perfectly, uh, such that if you go there now, you can walk the streets, see the houses people lived in, there are still color paintings and tiles. Right. Uh, from their floors. And very nice. Uh, I have all kinds of pictures of this. And one thing you see is a ton of graffiti. And this is the part where, forgive me, this is a bit crude, but in every city they find when you get into the entrance. See, I don't know if I should say these things now that I think about it. I, I don't know. I'm going to look at you while I say it and forgive. I'm not trying to be funny. There are paintings or carvings in the wall of male genitalia and there are little maps you follow that sign and then there'll be another one when you get to the first turn and it'll tell you where to turn where are they taking you? to the brothel which was legal right so every city had this all these little uh graffitis or carvings in the wall to tell people where things were well one thing you'll see if you get to pompeii is the little what does david putty call the jesus fish Yeah, uh, the little Jesus fish, Ichthus, right? And what is it doing? It's pointing you toward where the Christians were worshiping. They couldn't put, hey, Christians, come pray, because everyone would be like, that's illegal. So they use symbols no one else would understand. Maybe they use the Cairo. That's the P with the X through it. Um, They had symbols they used to direct people where Christians could go and find other Christians. And only a Christian looking would understand what that symbol is. Okay, Christianity was secret and underground somewhat. Again, depending on geography, depending on who's emperor, all those sorts of things. Because it's underground, because it's secret, it's not like the community in Galatia and Corinth were talking to each other very much. They communicated primarily by letters. And one thing that it's pretty easy to do is for me to write a letter here in grand blank from me, but say, this is a letter from governor. What's our governor's name, Whitmer to the people in Clio. And back then, how do you check? And this happened a lot. and. Gnosticism was a great way to make money. If you could convince people, you had the secrets. Gnosticism was very appealing to the poor. Uh, Gnosticism was very appealing because it basically, well, so here we go. You have an underground religion and an unpopular religion, and they kind of were mixed together at different points. Gnostics infiltrated the Christian church. How do we know this? Because Christian writers kept telling people, stay away from the Gnostics. They're not Christian. One of the constant marks of post-biblical writing, so after St. Paul and John are dead, is these dang Gnostics. Don't listen to them. Knowledge is for everyone. That was a key tenet of Christianity. No, no, no. God wants you all to know him. There's no secrets here. There's no paying for things. There, the body is sacred. Matter is good. Um, but in part of this effort to recruit Christians into Gnosticism are these things called Gnostic Gospels. <laughs> so how are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Christianity has this problem in the second and third century. The apostles are gone. Uh, and now you're in the second and third generation of Christian leadership. And Gnostics have started to infiltrate Christianity. And they're starting to lead people astray. Now, these Gospels would say, well, it's the Gospel of St. Peter. Now, you think, oh, and then what do people in America, this drives me so nuts. Peter wrote this. That's not how authorship worked back then. Um, when you see the Gospel of Matthew... And people would say, well, did Matthew write it? I believe he did. But I also would assume it's very possible that it worked like a lot did back then. Namely, Matthew had students who wrote that gospel. Okay? But they wouldn't say the gospel of Matthew according to his students. That's not how authorship worked back then. Uh, Plato didn't write everything that's attributed to Plato. His disciples wrote it. He said it. How are we doing? And it works that way all throughout the Mediterranean world. That's not considered sketchy. That's considered the right way to do things. The, so people will tell you, and I don't know why priests preach on this. It seems weird to me. But, well, look, Matthew never wrote that gospel. His disciples did. Well, who cares? I can't prove it one way or the other. But it was a normal thing to say the gospel of Matthew, knowing Matthew might not have written it, but his students did. You with me? Yeah. Okay. So, what these guys were doing was taking Christian names and applying them to their own stories. Uh, The Orthodox Christians, the Orthodox Christians held to the books we have now in the Bible. The Gnostic Christians, if they can be described as Christians, had a very different view of the Bible, of Jesus and of salvation. But they did not have any writings by the apostles to lend credibility to their writings. So what did they do? They fraudulently attached the names of famous Christians to the writings, like the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Philip, the Gospel of Mary. There's 20-some Gnostic Gospels. And you think, well, wait a minute. Why are they only talking about Thomas and the Gospel of... of, uh, uh, What did they talk about? Gospel of Thomas, mostly. Well, because they're the only ones that vaguely make sense. The rest of them, what they say in there is so bizarre and so messed up that it wouldn't be able to sell. okay? Because this is all about selling books, right? There's this push for the Gnostic Gospels. Um, The discovery, well, I don't know if you want to get into this. like the most recent one. In 1945, in an expedition sponsored by the Catholic Church, they uncovered what's now called the Nag Hammadi Library in northern Egypt. Okay, this was 1945, and it was probably the biggest discovery of Gnostic Gospels we ever found. Um, and these are the ones people will say, these are the lost Gospels. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, oh, you say, how do we know they were forgeries? Because in the third and fourth centuries, Christians are writing each other going, some idiots writing the Gospel of Peter. That's not real. Don't read it. Okay. <clears throat> the church fathers were unanimous in this. But anyway, so uh what do we do? Um let's take a look at some of them. Okay. This uh Gnostic gospel, let's go with the Gospel of Thomas first, because it's the most popular. Uh, The Gospel of Thomas is a Coptic manuscript discovered in 1945 at Nag Hammadi in Egypt. The manuscript has 114 sayings attributed to Jesus. Now, some of these are just copies from Matthew, Mark and Luke and John. Others were unknown uh, until then, but they run totally contrary to what we found in the biblical gospels. So where did the Gospel of Thomas come from? It's kind of funny. It was in December in 1945 in the Nile Valley. Two Egyptians were looking for a, a kind of rock they used as fertilizer, okay? It had a lot of nitrates in it. And they, became a, they uh, found a three-foot-tall jar uh, that was hidden by a boulder, and inside of it they found a bunch of leather-bound books and codices. Isn't this crazy? The spot where they're found was just a few miles from a monastery uh, that was built by the founder of Egyptian monasticism, um, and the name of the monastery was Nag Hammadi. So Nag which was named after the town the monastery was in. So they gave it that name. This is now the Nag Hammadi collection, right? Just because that was the nearest town. Uh, there are 52 texts written in Coptic on papyrus, and they were put into 13 volumes, 12 of which have separate leather bindings. <laughs> 40 of the texts were previously unknown to modern scholars, which is pretty cool, right? This is a significant historical find, and most of them are basically Gnostic. Um There are scraps of paper that they found, almost like sticky notes of the day, uh, that were uh, put into the bindings of the codices that tell us these were written in the 4th and 5th century. Uh, So uh, that's pretty cool. Um, Anyway, so they're trying to date them better than by these little notes, but whatever. Um, It looks like most of them came after three sixty. A.D. uh, and before 460 A.D. They were probably written uh, in Greek or Aramaic first, but then translated into Coptic. Uh, So that was one of them. What about the Gospel of Judas? This one's a little sketchier. Okay, what we know is in the 70s in a cave in Egypt, a supposed, quote, gospel of Judas was found. Now, the circumstances of it are described by secular authorities, not religious as, quote, shady, Uh, that the people who found them were asking for an obscene amount of money. Right. You give us an obscene amount of money. We'll give you this rare uh, only copy of the Gospel of Judas. Now, they no one would buy it because the price was insane. Uh, eventually, some foundation in Switzerland bought it, right? Uh, so it was made public in 2004, but it's not yet been revealed, right? Whoever this foundation was uh, that I know of still hasn't revealed any of it just because... It looks like they got scammed, okay? Uh, and it's not a Christian Swiss organization that bought it. It's an intellectual group. Uh, but anyway. So when was it dated? Fifth century. Um, and one third of it was deemed illegible. Inel- 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 can, they can't read it, right? Basically, a doctor wrote it. <laughs> now, we do have a reference to a gospel of Thomas. Uh, By Irenaeus, right? We've talked about this patristic father, Irenaeus, and he wrote that, quote, the gospel of Judas is an invented history of a long line of heretics and rebels against God. So he felt a little strongly about this. (laughs) Um, The basic idea, according to Irenaeus, was that the gospel claimed that Jesus wanted Judas to betray him. Um, And that just ticked Irenaeus off. Okay, so that's really important for us. Um, And of course, it defies common sense, right? If that's what Jesus wanted, why did Jesus call Judas the son of perdition? Why did Judas uh, commit suicide as a result of it? Uh, another one, I don't know, do you guys want to hear these? I mean, there's another one called the Gospel of the Twelve, and Origen refers to this gospel. Origen is the guy who sat at the feet of John and learned from him. Uh, He describes it as, quote, identical to the Gospel of the Ebionites. Um, So what do we know? We know the Gospel was written before 200 AD, and it has no connection to St. Matthew, even though in it, the person appears to be writing as if they are Matthew. So we know that uh, Origen, who s- sat at the feet of the Apostle John, knew about one floating around called the Gospel of the Twelve, and that he condemned it. He said Matthew didn't write that. Okay, uh, And we could go on and on. There's a ton of these, right? There, there's There's dozens of these Gnostic Gospels. And the reason you only hear about a couple is because most of them you can look at and say, well, that was written 500 years after Jesus. Maybe it shouldn't be considered really that authoritative. Or it says some crazy stuff. Like, I think it's the Gospel of Thomas. It might be the Gospel of Barnabas, where Jesus says all women have to become men to enter the kingdom of heaven. And this was before the transgender movement. Um, so anyway, uh, all of these Gospels that we're talking about did i go too far on that joke no okay because youtube will take it down like we were just talking about this remember it was like tomorrow it was like well why don't people have asked why don't you talk about the transgender thing because youtube won't let me if i talk about it they take it down uh seriously Uh, it's so weird and i don't like people say what about freedom of speech youtube's not a country i get it it's their platform they can do what they want it's just weird that they're so scared of people disagreeing with the group think, but oops, someone texted. Well, hello. Um, So I don't know how much information you want on this, but the key idea is that you have a movement that infiltrated Christianity such that Christian leaders consistently condemned their efforts Their writings were preserved, of all things, by the people condemning them and by the church. Why? Because it offers some really groovy historical insight into how non-Christians were thinking at the time. Gnosticism basically disappeared. It's it's so easy to see the scam. Uh, And... um, Christianity is what preserved Gnosticism. It's just so bizarre, then, that the charge is that Christians are hiding it from you. Uh, If you want, and you know what I should do? I think I have here somewhere a link. So you can read any Gnostic gospel you want in its entirety from the Vatican Library online. It's free. Uh, Because most of, if you get a gospel, one of these Gnostic gospels from the people selling them, they're not sending you the whole thing. They're editing the snot out of it. Um, And it is, it always cracks me up, right? Because Gnosticism, you could see reasonably, was a bit of a scam. So the only reason it survives is because of people using it to scam. I mean, it really is ironic, isn't it? Um, Heavily edited to take out offensive and weird stuff. Like in one of them, I think I've told you guys about this, where Jesus is a little boy and some other boys are making fun of him, so he kills them. Did I say this one? And then Mary runs out and yells at him, and he raises them all back to life. Isn't that a riot? Can you imagine? What would you do if that was your kid? Um, Look, I know you're the son of God, but please stop killing people. It's rude. (laughs) No supper for you. (laughs) No soup. That's what it was. No soup for you. No soup for you. So, um... What ended up happening with Gnosticism and when did Christianity make its clear separation? Well, that's pretty easy. Uh, When Christianity became legal. Uh, And, you know, this is maybe being picky, right? Because I've always taught this. When people say, well, when did Christianity became legal? It's just easier to say Constantine. Right? Uh, But Constantine is a guy who's, again, totally misunderstood. And everybody repeats what the guys on TV said uh, (laughs) instead of looking it up. Constantine and the Edict of Milan did an interesting thing. He and a guy named uh, Licinius, I think. I think it was Licinius. Uh, They were basically, at that point, had gained sole control of the Roman Empire, the two of them. And they were partners at this point. Um... Eventually, of course, Constantine kills Lycanius and takes the whole thing, just like Jesus would. Uh, But when they issued the Edict of Milan, it didn't make Christianity legal, technically. What it really did was made it illegal to persecute anyone because of religion. Um, And then it also did introduce a series of, like, if you were a Christian whose property was confiscated, the other person had to give it back. (laughs) Okay, Um, so you had that kind of stuff. But uh, once Christianity was made legal, and this is key, um, Christians came out of hiding and began openly communicating with each other. And as is true of religions where you believe in objective truth, they started fighting right away about what is Christianity who is Jesus who was Jesus uh, all these sorts of things and Gnosticism was in there a little bit but at this point it already was dying out this is where you get in 325 Christians convening at the Emperor's expense at um, Nicaea to define Christianity uh and that's really important for us that's where they wrote the nicene creed and uh, i think i've used this image before just try to think of the nicene creed as an upside down triangle okay they start with the most basic thing what do we believe in god well how many one god who is he the father almighty what did he do creator of heaven and earth What else do we believe? In Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Right? They just kind of... And each belief gets more and more specific until you get to the end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, life everlasting. So it, boom, does an upside-down triangle. And a lot of them are direct answers to Gnosticism. So if you look at the Nicene Creed... You see a repudiation, let me find them, of these tenets of Gnosticism. Um, Matter is not evil or flawed. Uh, There is not a hidden supreme God and a lesser evil God. Um, Knowledge is not the way to salvation. Relationships the way to salvation. Uh, Co-equal forces of good and evil? No, we don't buy that. And the body is good. Okay? Especially mine. <laughs> so those are... Wow, this took a lot less time, didn't it? I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Okay. Uh, do you guys have questions about Gnosticism? If so, launch the missile. I've still got more in my head. I don't know uh, what you want to know. Um But the key, you know, to remember is this. Gnosticism is kind of making a comeback, uh, but not really. Where it will always seem to do in American Christianity is pop its head up as this selling point comes along. There are secret gospels the church has hidden from you. Again, but if the church wanted to hide them, they probably should have stopped publishing them at some point. Yeah. If they didn't want us to know about them, they probably shouldn't have had me do a whole class on them in seminary, just like all my classmates. When I did my first pilgrimage to Israel, we toured the places where they found these Gnostic gospels and scrolls. Uh, A Catholic priest named Jerome Murphy O'Connor took us through them. Um, There's no secret here. Uh, It's just they don't have much value unless you're a historian or someone who's just interested in this sort of thing. Um, okay, we do have a question Is someone an agnostic If they believe the Gnostic Gospels Fine question, but no Okay, so this might help you a little bit With a lot of things In Greek, whenever you wanted to negate a word You put an A in front of it Right So what do you call it when you lose memory Amnesia right? Nisia is remembrance A means no You don't remember Gnostic means knowledge. A means no. So an agnostic is a person who I don't know. No knowledge. So an agnostic is a person who doesn't commit to atheism or deism of any sort. They just say, I don't know. Uh, I've found a goodly amount of people who say they're atheists actually tend to mean they're agnostics, but it doesn't matter. And agnostics won't take a hard position on either. And try not to think of it as intellectual laziness. It's not. It's usually kind of an intellectual rigor. It's this idea of, I can't say for sure if there's a God or not. Okay. (laughs) So if that helps, try to remember that for any Greek word you see, if there's an A in front of it, it's negating the the rest of the word. Okay. Yeah. Um, Someone asked, uh, is Gnosticism similar to extremists in Hinduism? Gosh, I don't know. I really don't know much about Hinduism. Uh, I know they don't eat meat or beef, right? They'll eat meat, but not beef. I remember talking with uh, Father Tommy about this. He's a priest from India who grew up with a bunch of Hindus. And he said, uh, cows everywhere because they won't eat them. And I said, well, do they freak out if you eat them? He went, No. <laughs> You gotta love these Catholics, you know what I mean? Uh, out there eating cows, sacred cows. So okay. So if Constantine made it illegal to persecute Christians, who and how did Christianity became legal? Well you could kind of say that's the moment where it became legal. Um, And it's a fine question, right? But I, I, again, that's how I tended to teach it when I was in high school, just because that's easier to remember. And it's basically accurate that um, the Edict of Milan uh, basically said you can't persecute people because of their religion. And Christians who have lost land for being Christians will now get it back. And Christianity never really looked back. After that, um, you will always have those people who over or underplay what Constantine did to Christianity because it's hard to tell. He was a narcissist. Uh, it really is hard to tell. And he had absolute power to some extent. It's clear Christianity was important to him because it was important to his mom. Was it important to him personally? I don't know. He killed a lot of people. I'm trying to think. I think he locked one of his wives in a sauna and turned it up all the way and killed her that way. Like it wasn't like he was running around trying to be pious and virtuous. And people will tell you this is the one that can't survive ten minutes of thinking. Um, Oh wow, that sounded cold. I'm sorry, but like I had a profs who said this: Constantine reinvented Christianity. It's like. Okay, here's your theory, and I just want to make sure I understand it. You have a group of men and women who have been butchered for their faith, right? Who have had everything taken away from them. When they describe these gatherings of Christians in 325, right, they describe this gathering of maimed people, people who had been burned and tortured, who had lost everything because of their belief in Christ. Yet somehow, in just 20 years... Someone changed the whole thing and none of them noticed. That's literally their theory. That these same people who were punching each other over whether Jesus was created or not, somehow were fine with a guy rewriting the whole thing. It just makes no sense at all. Was Constantine trying to use Christianity to unite his empire? You could make that argument. I still don't know. I've read an obscene amount about the topic, and I'm still not clear. I think Mike Duncan is kind of a fan of that, and I consider him one of the best Roman historians out there. But then you read Anthony Everett, and he's like, no, I didn't care. Uh, And then you read some Christian writers, and they're like, oh, Constantine loved Christianity. I don't know. you got to remember... That polytheism, which was the order of the day in Rome, was already dying. Uh, The more people read and grew in knowledge, the less possible it seemed to them that the universe was created by these chaotic anthropomorphic gods. That there had to be something uh, with all of this order then order must have created it. Randomness can't produce order as a general rule. So Romans were already moving slowly, painfully, toward this idea of a god. The Greeks had got there a few hundred years earlier, um, the Greek philosophers. For Constantine, it could have made total sense for him to look at the data and go, I think this is real. And if I can get everybody on the same page, (laughs) that would be a good thing. And you could argue that, sure. But he can't change it. You can't tell me. All these people willing to die would just go, all right, well, I'm on board. What do you want to do? (laughs) Um, And if you look at the writings while Christianity was illegal, and you can see them anytime, anywhere on the Internet or by books. We call those patristics. It's clear. Whatever's happened after Constantine had been happening for 300 years before that. You can argue a lot about Catholicism, and I'm right with you historically, but this is the part where honestly all you gotta do is read. And not read what the guy who hates Catholicism wrote, but read what historians write. Read for yourself what Christians wrote. The first three hundred years, we have that. Do we have it all? Oh no! Romans burned as much as they could. But you had one more flirtation in Roman history with a atheistic, gov- not atheistic, polytheistic government. What was his name? Um, oh, it'll come to me. Julian. There was a Roman emperor named Julian the Apostate, which should tell you everything I need to know. Who tried to take Roman back Rome back to its polytheistic roots, but it didn't work. It crashed and burned. Um, Once that table got turned, it it was a freight train. Shortly thereafter, a guy named Theodosius uh, made Christianity the state religion of the Roman Empire. And that was probably when things went south for the church, right? For the first time, you had Christians joining. uh, You had people becoming Christian so they could get promoted and that never goes well right that's where you start this run of popes that are awful awful human beings um but anyway sorry i got off on a side note so i know i'm knocking off early and i'm sorry uh but if you would keep our parish in your prayers yeah we're okay we had a lot of funerals last week we got a lot this week and it is cutting into my ability to prep like i like to um now tomorrow as i said we're going to tackle a couple topics i don't know how contentious it'll be for you I uh, just everyone urge everyone to chill out we're going to try to take a look at the catholic church's teaching uh historically on capital punishment all the way to this day and it's actually a pretty simple discussion i also want us to look at immigration because um i think we keep forgetting there's choices somewhere between wide open borders and making it virtually impossible for people to flee bad situations to come to a good one. So I'd love for us to look at those things as well as if I have time, we'll hit other social issues. Okay. So, uh, you guys, thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you found this helpful. If you didn't, it's Carrie's fault. But uh, let me see. So I got tomorrow covered, and then Friday is question and answer. Are we here? Yep. Okay. And then, oh, it's a heads up. I'm creeping up on my vacation. Yes. And I am painfully excited about this. Uh, So there will be a stretch where we won't have the show. And see what you think of this. I think people should say which episode they want us to replay. Yeah. Yeah. So there will be two weeks Of shows where we're just going to replay your favorites. So if you would, don't hesitate to get on our Facebook page and let us know, boy, I'd sure love for you to play this one again. And we might even, I just think it'd go back to the way early ones, like when I was in my office and we were using a cell phone. Um, That might be cool. I don't know. Uh, But either way, yeah, back then, guys, I had really long, pretty hair. (laughs) Yeah. Tigers are on a roll. <laughs> and have you seen have you seen my tigers lately? Yeah. Okay. So what we'll do now. Riley Green. You, Riley, Riley Green is a beast. Do you know I snagged him in fantasy baseball two days before he came up to the bigs? And I have not looked back since. What has he got? Hits in 17 of his first 18 games. I think I'm saying that right. Kid's a freak. Oh, and I'm going to get to meet him August, what was it, do you remember, 9th? 8th, I thought. 8th, 8th or 9th, we're going to pilgrimage out, and I'm going to meet Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. What? You're going to meet him? Yeah, I, I, no, I just had a thought. If When I get back, from because the first week you're gone, I'll be on vacation. But if I get back the second week, yeah. that last Friday, I might just put a montage of just... Oh, my crazy. Yes. Yeah. Just do a whole hour of crazy, weird things I've said. Um, <laughs> you'll need two hours. <laughs> okay. So, guys, sorry for the short, short, uh, not, uh, Sorry for the short, short. I can't say short show. But it's not. It's, it's one I, Short show. Sorry for a short show. It's one o'clock. It's one, Okay, so I'll wrap this up now and I'll see you beautiful people tomorrow when we'll take a look at what the Catholic Church longs for us to embrace as Catholics when it comes to immigrants or migrants and capital punishment. Salad pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, thank you so much for the Gospels. I don't know how often we pause and think of how ridiculously blessed we are to know what you said and did. It is truly an amazing thing. And we are so grateful. Lord, there's many people who are using your name to trick people and deceive them. And we ask you to forgive them and heal their minds and heal their hearts. Protect us from those who want to use your name, Lord, in any way but to glorify you. What we ask for today is that you touch each and every one of us, touch our minds and hearts, so that we can be in the moment you gave us. Not in the moments we think are coming, or not in the moments that we fret about from our past, but right here, right now, where you are. Lord, you know that there are people we love so much and we worry about. And you know that there are circumstances that we fret about. And so we surrender them all to you, Lord, because we love you and we trust you. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, beautiful people. I will see you tomorrow. And until then, peace. Is it over? No, it's never over.